ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله Verily the praise belongs to Allah we praise him seek his assistance and forgiveness we seek refuge in Allah from the evil of ourselves and the evil consequences of our deeds whoever Allah guides there is no one that can lead him astray and whoever Allah leads astray there is no one that can guide him i bear witness that nothing deserves to be worshiped except Allah alone and that he has no partners or associates and i bear witness that muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam is his slave servant and his messenger we'd like to continue this evening in this lecture number 7 in our series of lectures concerning mustalah hadith uh, from the book of sheikh suhaib hasan abdul ghaffar hafizahullah may allah protect and preserve him entitled al-ma'rifa fi ulum al-hadith and in the previous lectures we covered a number of different subdivisions or classifications of hadith uh, in consideration of differing factors just briefly to review what we covered in the last lecture in lecture number 6 we talked about the classification of hadith according to the number of reporters at every stage in the chain and if we look at the number of reporters or narrators who reported a particular hadith at any level in the chain from the beginning those who heard it directly from the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam meaning as sahaba radiyallahu anhum ajma'in or those who heard it in the next level at tabi'un rahimahumullah and so on in each level until that hadith was collected by the scholar of hadith who collected uh, those hadith in his book such as al-imam al-bukhari or al-imam muslim or al-imam abu daud and so on in every level from the first point in the chain the sahaba until it was collected by those scholars who collected the hadith into books we look at the number of reporters in every level and we can classify the hadith accordingly we said last week that hadith with this consideration have two main categories the first one is al-mutawatir and the second one is al-ahad the hadith that is classified as mutawatir linguistically mutawatir means that which is consecutive or comes in succession yani one following another but technically the technical meaning in the science of hadith for mutawatir it means that which is reported by such a large number of people that it would be impossible under normal conditions to conspire to forge or fabricate it and in so many people the mutawatir hadith is the hadith in which a large number of people on every level reported that hadith on every level to an extent that under normal conditions it is very unlikely or almost impossible that all of those people could have come together to conspire to forge or fabricate a hadith 
the conditions or the shuroot for mutawatir are four. Number one, that it be reported by a very large number of people. And the number is not agreed upon. Some of the scholars said various numbers, 10 or 15 or 30 or 40 or 70 and so on. The important thing is that it should be a large number. And number two, that that large number of reporters is found in every level of the chain. And if a large number of people reported it at the end of the chain, but only one or two people reported it in the beginning, then it wouldn't be considered mutawatir. And number three, that under normal circumstances, it would be impossible to conspire to forge the report or to forge that narration of the Prophet And the fourth condition is that its basis, the basis uh, for this report is derived from something known by the senses, by sight or hearing or feeling. And if the person said, I heard the Prophet say, or I saw the Prophet do something, not something that is just understood by the intellect, by reasoning or reflection or consideration. The report that is narrated, mutawatir, it should be something that the person came to know by their senses. So these are the conditions for mutawatir hadith. And the ruling concerning of the hukum is that al-ilm al-daruri or yaqini, certain knowledge is derived from it. And if we got a hadith that's reported mutawatir, we said that the information contained in it, it is a knowledge about which there is no doubt. Yani about which a person is obligated to accept, just as if he or she had actually witnessed it. There is no need to ask uh, or to seek out the status of the chain. It should be chain of reporters. Chain of reporters. Yani the hadith is mutawatir. It's no need to look at the chain to see are they all reliable. Are some of them weak or not? Because when such a large number of people have married a hadith and the scholars consider it mutawatir, then it's acceptable without question. Also we said that al-mutawatir or the hadith mutawatir is divided into two divisions. There's al-mutawatir, al-lavri, yani the actual wording of the hadith has been reported mutawatir. The actual expression has been reported in the same wording throughout by all these large number of people. And mutawatir al-ma'nawi, that means the meaning. The meaning. Though the wording may not be exactly, exactly the same, but the idea or the concept that is related in the hadith has been reported mutawatir, though with different wording. The second category of hadith after mutawatir is khabar al-ahad. That means all hadith which, which are not mutawatir, which don't reach the level or fulfill the conditions of mutawatir, come under the classification of al-ahad. Linguistically, it means ahad, it is the plural of ahad, one. And technically, it means that hadith which does not fulfill all of the conditions of mutawatir. Yani, if it fulfills some of the conditions of mutawatir, but miss one or two or some of them, then it's not. It has to fulfill all of those conditions. Any hadith which doesn't fulfill all the conditions that we mentioned for mutawatir, it comes under the classification of khabar al-ahad. The ruling concerning khabar al-ahad, is that the knowledge which it contains is ilm and nadari knowledge which requires investigation to confirm its authenticity or its indications. Yani the hadith which is ahad, it means that a person has to confirm its authenticity, not like the mutawatir, which is without question. It doesn't require examination of the chains of narrators. But the ahad hadith has to be examined in order to determine its authenticity and also to determine the indications or that which we understand from that report.
and the point or the uh, that which we derive from it. The divisions of Khabar al-Ahad are three, and it is based on uh, the number of its chains of narrators. Yani if we look at every level in the chain of narration, the isnad, at every level, the least number on, ev- on any level is the number that we consider. If the, if the least number is three and the others have more, no problem. We look at the least number three and we say that this hadith would be classified as mashhur based on the fact that it has at least three narrators on every level. Even though other levels may have four or five or more, we look at the least number. If it has two, then we would say this hadith is aziz. And if it has one, it is gharib, yani the least number. If the least number is one, it is gharib, even if on other levels it has more than one. Concerning al-mashhur, linguistically it means that which is well known or famous, and technically that, re- that which is reported by three or more people at every level in the chain, while not fulfilling the conditions for mutawajir. Any three or more, but not reaching the level where it would be classified as mutawatir. Al-Mashur, غير al-Istilahi. Yani, there are two classifications of Mashur. The technical classification is what we have mentioned, and the non-technical meaning of Mashur is that which is reported through one chain of narrators, or that which is reported through more than one chain of narrators, or even under غير al-Istilahi, you may find a hadith that's called Mashur, which has no chain of narrators at all. Yani, it has been spread amongst the people, but if we check back, we find it doesn't have an isnad. Yani, it's something fabricated. It doesn't have an isnad at all. Yani, this means that al-mashhur غير al-istilahi, it means the hadith which is called mashhur because it is famous, it is spread amongst the people, not because it fulfills the technical definition of mashhur, meaning that it has at least three narratives on every level. This is the meaning that's other than the technical meaning. It means that a hadith that is famous amongst the people, whether it's famous in a particular country, or famous amongst the scholars of fiqh, or famous amongst the scholars of usul, or famous amongst the scholars of Arabic language, whatever. Any hadith that has been widespread amongst the people in general, or amongst the particular people, it might be called mashhur. But this is not the technical meaning. That hadith which is mashhur, and the non-technical meaning, it may not have three or more narratives at every level. It might have less than that, or it might not have any chain of narratives at all. The ruling concerning the mashhur hadith is that neither of the two types of mashhur, that is the technical meaning or the non-technical meaning, neither of them is necessarily described as sahih, authentic, or da'if, weak. It may be hasan, it may be sahih, hasan, da'if, or even mawdur. Yani a hadith that is classified as mashhur by either of the meanings, technical or non-technical meaning, it's not necessarily so that it has to be sahih or that it has to be da'if. It has to be examined. The chain of narratives have to be examined. Even if it has three or more uh, narratives on every level, it doesn't mean that it's sahih, because those narratives could be weak narratives. Uh, the second category of al-ahad is al-aziz. Linguistically, it means rare or strong, and technically, it means that which is reported by no less than two narratives at every level in the chain, even if it exceeds two at some of the levels in the chain of narratives. And it has to have at least, minimum, two narratives on every level, even if it exceeds two on some levels. And the ruling or hukum concerning it is that it is not necessarily described as sahih or da'if. It may be 
sahih or hasan or daif or even mawdu' fabricated like the previous categories depending on the narrative. After examination and inspection of the narratives, the determination will be made as to its authenticity or lack of it. Also, gharib, linguistically, the third category, gharib, it means single or alone or far from one's relatives. This is the linguistic meaning in the Arabic language. But the technical meaning in the science of hadith, it means that which has been reported by a single narrator at one or more levels of the chain of narrators. Yani, the least number at any level was one. Therefore, this hadith is called gharib. Another name uh, for the gharib hadith is al-fard. It is the opinion of al-Hafiz ibn Hajjah that the two expressions al-fard and al-gharib have the same meaning. Yani, al-Hafiz ibn Hajjah al-Asqalani was one of the great scholars of hadith. It was his opinion that these two expressions Though some of the scholars made a distinction between them, it was his opinion that their meanings are the same. They can be used interchangeably. Except that al-fard is more commonly used to refer to al-fard al-mutlaq. Al-fard al-mutlaq, meaning that which is reported by a single narrator from a companion. Yani from the beginning of the isnad, if only one person reported from a sahabi, then this is what is called al-fard al-mutlaq. It means from the beginning. If it came any place else that the single narrator was in any other level in the chain other than the beginning of it, then that one would be referred to differently. This is al-fard al-mutla. And al-gharib, so al-fard is normally used to refer to the hadith which has a single narrator in the beginning of the chain. Whereas al-gharib is more commonly used to refer to al-gharib al-nisbi, reported by a single narrator at a later level in the chain. And when the single narrator is somewhere else, then this is called Al-Gharib Al-Nisbi. And these two chains, or these two names, may be used interchangeably. Just as we said, Al-Fard Al-Mutlaq, it's possible and permissible to say Al-Gharib Al-Mutlaq. And as we said here, Al-Gharib Al-Nisbi, you can say Al-Fard Al-Nisbi, according to the opinion of Hafid ibn Hajj al-Asqalani, the names are interchangeable, but he says though, that Fard is normally used in the expression Al-Mutlaq, to refer to the single narrator in the beginning of the chain, and Al-Gharib is normally used for the Nisbi reference when the single narrator is at a later level in the chain. And then we mention that uh, the divisions according to where the single narrator appears in the chain is Al-Fard Al-Mutlaq and Al-Fard Al-Nisbi, and the definitions and examples for both of these two types. And finally, the ruling concerning uh, this category of hadith, gharib, it could be sahih or da'if, though more often than not it is weak. Yani normally a hadith that the scholars refer to as hadith gharib, normally, more often than not, it is a weak hadith. But it's not an absolute situation where every time you see a hadith that's gharib, it has to be da'if. It's possible it could be sahih. Like the hadith, إِنَّمَا الْعَمَالُ بِالنِّيَانِ was narrated from the beginning from Umar al-Khattab by one person, and the narrative from him by one person, and the narrative from him by one person. It is a gharib hadith, but it is a sahih hadith, narrated by both al-Bukhari and Muslim. So some of the hadith which are gharib, they are in fact sahih, though the majority of the cases of gharib hadith are that they are weak. So this is what we talked about last week, uh, and today we'd like to go to the next chapter that uh, Sheikh Suhaib Hassan talks about in his book, Al-Ma'rifah fi al-Ulum al-Hadith, fi al-Ulum al-Hadith, where he 
talks about the classifications of hadith according to the manner in which the hadith is reported. Classification of hadith according to the manner in which it is reported. Any yani the expressions or the words that are used in reporting the hadith. Uh, here he mentions two categories. Al-Mudallas and Al-Musaltal. The more important of the two is the first of them due to the fact that it has a great bearing on whether or not the hadith would be classified as authentic or not. Whereas the second one, it doesn't really have any bearing on the authenticity of the hadith. The musalsal hadith, as we will mention as we go along, it doesn't necessarily affect the authenticity of the hadith. So it's not as important, but it is a category of hadith which the scholars mentioned, and it's, yani, it is worthy to mention and to explain its definition and what it relates to. As for the first category, the Shaykh says Mudallas, Hadith, and Tadlis. Different ways of reporting. For example, Haddathana. Yani the scholars, when they used to report a Hadith from their Shaykh, they used different wordings. Some of them use this expression, Haddathana, which means he narrated to us. Yani the Shaykh narrated to us. If he said, Haddathana Malik, he means that his Shaykh Malik, he is the one who narrated this hadith to us. And each one in the chain used one of the expressions that were common to the scholars uh, in that time. Another expression that was used was Akhbarana, that he informed us. Yani the Shaykh, he narrated the hadith to them and they used this type of expression. Akhbarana. Another expression which is probably the strongest of them all is Sami'atu, which means I heard. Sami'atu, which is a clear indication that the person who is reporting that hadith heard it directly from his shaykh. And this is important because the manner in which he heard it from the shaykh is important. Did he get it from him in a letter he wrote it to him? Or did he just uh, give him permission to narrate the hadith which are in his book? Or did he actually hear the shaykh recite the hadith or somebody recited the hadith in front of the shaykh while the shaykh was listening to it? How did he get the hadith? This is very important uh, to determine the authenticity of the hadith. Also, one of the expressions which is really important related to the topic of at-tadlis, it is the expression an, on the authority of. These, this expression and the others are all used by the reporters of hadith. The difference between the first three haddathana and akhbarana and sana'atu is that all of them indicate that the person who is reporting the hadith heard it directly from his teacher. Whereas an is vague, it's not clear. We don't know when he says on the authority of so and so. We don't know. What does that mean? Did he hear it? Did the shaykh narrate it to him? Or did he come to know about it through someone else? It came from that shaykh but not directly, through someone else. So this makes a big difference and it is especially important in the topic of At-Tadlis. Uh, here the Shaykh says, a mudallas, concealed hadith, mudallas, and it, as you see it is written with A as opposed to mudallis, written with I, it has a different meaning. Mudallas is the reference to the hadith and mudallis is the one who does the act of tadlis. Okay, the hadith which involves tadlis is called mudallas, fatha. 
And the one who does it or who practices it is called mudallif with kisra. A mudallif concealed hadith is one which is weak due to the uncertainty caused by tadlif. When the person practices tadlif, we are unsure about the authenticity of his hadith. What is tadlif? Tadlif means concealing. It refers to an isnad or a chain of narratives where a reporter has concealed the identity of his sheikh. Okay, tadlif refers to an isnad, a chain of narratives, where the reporter, the narrator, the one who is reporting the hadith, hides or disguises the identity of his sheikh. And there are various ways in which he may do that, and based on the manner in which he does it, the uh, hadith might be classified into different types of tadlis. Here he says that Ibn al-Salah describes two types of tadlis, and they are the two most important types of tadlis, though there are many types of tadlis, many. And the two most important types are these two types, tadlis al-Isnad and tadlis al-Shuyukh. Both of these have a bearing, it have a bearing on the authenticity of the hadith or the lack of it. It is important to make a distinction between them because one of them is more serious than the other. A tadlis is an act in which the narrator of the hadith for a number of various reasons doesn't want to show who he actually heard the hadith from. The first way that that is done is called tadlis al-isnad. Tadlis in reference to the chain itself. It's in reference to what happens to the chain of narrative. A person reports from his sheikh whom he met, what he did not hear from him. The first line, okay, a person reports from his sheikh, his teacher, who he met and heard hadith from, he reports from him something that he didn't hear from him. He may have heard many hadith from him, but now, in this occasion, he reported from him something that he didn't hear from him. That's actually his teacher. And he sat with that teacher, he met him, he heard hadith from him, but now he reported from him on this occasion something which he actually didn't hear from his sheikh. Maybe he heard it from somebody else who heard it from his sheikh. And for whatever reason, he reports it as though he heard it from his sheikh. Likewise, it may be that a person reports from a contemporary, a scholar living in his time, in the same time period that he was living in, he reports from him uh, though he did not meet him. And also, as the, 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 the definitions of Tadlis al-Isnad, there are a number of definitions the scholars have given, and we can say here that it's possible to include here that a person narrates from a contemporary scholar who he met or who he didn't meet. But what's important is that he didn't hear hadith from him. He didn't hear any hadith from him. Even if he met him, he didn't hear hadith from him. Okay, the first one is his teacher, who he heard some hadith from, but not the one he is reporting now. The second case is he heard from a contemporary, either he never met him, though he lived in the same time period, or he met him, but he didn't hear any hadith from him. Okay? So there are two categories here. One, he heard from this shaykh some hadith, but not the one he is reporting. And the second one, he didn't hear any hadith from that particular scholar. And the second point in the definition that is of importance is that he narrates that hadith in such a way as to create the impression that he heard the hadith in person. And he uses an expression or he narrates the hadith in a way that if somebody hears it, they would get the impression that he heard it directly from that shaykh. 
Though he doesn't say it in clear words that he heard it from him, he doesn't say Samaritu. If he had said that, he would be lying. But he used another word that has various meanings. It could be understood that he heard it directly or indirectly. So he's not actually lying. But he's giving the people the impression that he heard it directly from this person who he didn't hear it from. Either he never heard hadith from that man or he heard some hadith from him but not the one that he's reporting in this manner which gives the people the impression that he heard it from him. A mudallis with I, kisra, the one who practices tadlis, here usually uses the mode or the expression ani on the authority of or qala he said to conceal the truth about the isnad and if he said qala he said doesn't mean that he heard him say it it means that he said it and it may be true that that shaykh really did say it but it's not clear that I was there and heard him say it but maybe somebody else heard him say it and I heard it from them so when you say qala the expression is, is vague it's not clear it doesn't I mean specifically indicate that the narrator heard the hadith from that shaykh or not. And so also an on the authority of means this is this hadith is being reported on the authority of so and so. But did you hear it directly from him or not? It's not clear. So these are the, the, the expressions that normally the mudallis uses in order to hide the fact that they really didn't hear that hadith from the shaykh who they are claiming to report it from. And this is very important. Because if he didn't hear it really from that sheikh, who did he hear it from? And we cannot accept the authenticity of the hadith until we know who he really heard it from to know if that reporter who he heard it from, who has been deleted or eliminated from the chain of narratives, is he a reliable, reliable reporter or not. So this is Tadlis al-Isnad. And it's when the narrator reports the hadith from his sheikh who he heard some hadith from but not that particular hadith or another scholar living in his time who he may or may not have met but he didn't hear hadith from him and he reports it in a manner that gives the impression that he heard it from that shaykh though he doesn't say in real exact words that I heard it from him this is called Tadlis al-Isnaid yani the person A heard the hadith from B who heard it from C C is his shaykh or C is one of the contemporary scholars in his time. He deletes B and says An C or Qala C as though it's between A and C. B is deleted. But the expression he uses is not clear that he's saying I heard it from him. This is Tadlis. This is Tadlis al-Isnad. The other type, the most other important type of Tadlis is Tadlis or Tadlis al-Shuyukh. This is a different type of Tadlis which is less severe. It is not as dangerous and it is not as blameworthy. This tadlis, and by the way, there's another type of tadlis which is very important, which comes under tadlis al-isnad, which the shaykh mentions as C. Actually, it is the type of tadlis al-isnad, but anyway, he mentions it separately and we'll take it after tadlis al-shuyukh. Tadlis al-shuyukh, the reporter does mention his shaykh by name but uses a less well-known name, a by-name, a nickname, etc. in order not to disclose his sheikh's identity. And here in this case, the reporter, he doesn't delete his sheikh. He doesn't delete the person he heard it from. He doesn't take him out of the isnad. He mentions the person who he really heard it from, but he doesn't mention him by a name that that person was well-known by. He mentions him by some other name. 
so that people will not easily know who he's really talking about. And the reasons for this are also many. Uh, the important thing here is that in Tadlis al-Shuyukh, there's nobody removed from the chain of narrators. But the problem is because the name or description that he uses for his shaykh is not a name or description that he was well known by, the people might be deceived and not realize that the person he's reporting from is who he really is. And, and it may be that the person he's reporting from may be a weak narrator. And because he uses some other name of his that he's not known by, then the people don't easily recognize that that person who he's reporting from is an unreliable reporter. And it may not always be an unreliable reporter, but it could be. And this is why there's also some concern here. The Sheikh says, Al-Iraqi, one of the great scholars of Hadith, he was the famous teacher of Al-Hafiz ibn Hajj al-Asqalani. He died in the year 806. In his notes on Muqaddimah ibn Salah. The Muqaddimah ibn Salah is the most important book of Mustalah Hadith that we talked about in the introduction to this course. And Al-Iraqi, like many other scholars, including Al-Hafiz ibn Kathir, Al-Zahabi, Al-Suyuti, Al-Sakhawi, so many other scholars wrote commentaries on the Muqaddim of Ibn Salah. One of those commentaries is the commentary of Al-Iraqi. He says in his commentary that there is a third type of Tadlis. Tadlis al-Taswiyya. Al-Iraqi said so, and many of the other scholars also mentioned this type of Tadlis. And it is the most severe and the most dangerous type of Tadlis and the most difficult to detect and the most harmful. Here, Sheikh Suhaib says, to explain it, let us assume an Isnad which contains a trustworthy Sheikh reporting from a weak authority. The first one is Thiqa, reliable. The second one is Da'if, who in turn reports from another trustworthy Sheikh. Thiqa. There are three narrators here now. Somebody is reporting from a reliable reporter who is reporting from a weak reporter who is reporting from a reliable reporter. Two reliable reporters, in between them, there is a weak one. Now the reporter of this Isnad omits or deletes the intermediate weak authority, the one in the middle. He deletes it, takes it out, leaving it apparently consisting of reliable authorities. When you look at it now, you see one who is reliable, reporting from one who is reliable, which is يعني, a false impression. He plainly shows that he heard it from his sheikh. Yani the one who's reporting from the first reliable sheikh, he uses an expression like haddathani, or haddathana, or akhbarana, or sami'atu. He makes it clear that he heard it from his sheikh, who is the reliable authority. Then he deletes the one who his sheikh heard it from, who is weak. And then attaches to it the one who the weak narrator heard it from, who is also reliable. But here he doesn't use an expression like Haddathana or Akhbarana or Samarit. He uses the expression which is not clear, like An. In any case, when somebody looks at this hadith, they see that he narrated from a reliable person, who narrated from a reliable person. And he made it clear, in case he was a doubtful person, they know he used to do Tadlis, that he used to sometime hide his shaykh. So, he used the expression that makes it clear he heard it directly from his sheikh. So the people, they are relaxed, they feel comfortable. It's, it's not, it looks good. Except that the second reliable reporter, 
he uses, as I said, an expression like an on the authority of to link his immediate sheikh, who is the reliable one, with the next trustworthy one who had in between them a weak narrator. To an average student, this isnad seems free of any doubt or discrepancy. This is known to have been practiced by Baqiya ibn al-Walid and al-Walid ibn Muslim al-A'mash and al-Thawri and it is said to be the worst among the three kinds of al-Tadlis. Uh, the important thing here is to understand that Tadlis al-Taswiyah, why it is so dangerous is because if somebody looks at the chain of narrators on the surface, it appears to be authentic. Especially since the one who is doing this Tadlis, he uses an expression in narrating from his shaykh which makes it clear that he really heard it from him, and he did. But the problem is not between him and his shaykh, like in the Tadlis al-Isnad, the general Tadlis al-Isnad, where the person narrates from their shaykh with an expression like An, and we don't know that there was somebody in between them. Here he makes it clear, he heard it from his shaykh, and his shaykh is a reliable reporter. But the problem, he drops somebody else from the chain, in between him and the next reliable reporter, and that person is a weak narrator, no doubt about it. In the other case of Tadlis al-Isnad in general, the person who has been dropped might be a weak narrator or might be a reliable narrator because there are various reasons why Tadlis al-Isnad was practiced. Sometimes the reporter narrates from his sheikh who might be younger than him and he doesn't want it to be said that he's reporting from a child, somebody who's younger than him. So he disguises him by using some other name or description so people won't know who he is. In fact, that person who's younger than him might be a reliable reporter. But he does it for another reason, not because he's weak. So there's really, I mean, this is not so harmful. That's okay. If it's for that kind of reason, then it's all right. But when it's for the reason of hiding a narrator who's weak, then this is when it becomes dangerous. And in every case, Tadlis at Taswiya, it is practiced for the purpose of hiding a weak narrator. Which means that the hadith is definitely weak, but it appears as though it is authentic. Al-Hafiz bin Hajj al-Asqalani classifies those who practice Tadlis into five categories in his essay, Tabaqat al-Mudallisin. Yani, he said that those who practice at Tadlis are of different levels. Some of them, their hadith, even though they practice Tadlis, their hadith will be accepted. Some of them, their hadith is definitely rejected. And some of them, we have to look at it and consider. Sometimes it may be accepted, sometimes it may be rejected. So he classified them according to his yani, meticulous research and examining all of these mudallaseen. He carefully examined those people and their narrations and who they reported from and how they practiced tadlis and how often they did it and who they deleted from the isnad, whether they were always weak narrators or sometimes weak narrators or always reliable narrators. He considered all of these things and did a very, very meticulous, intensive research and based on that research, he came up with five categories. And these categories are important for the scholars of hadith in determining whether or not a hadith is authentic. Because if we know what category a person who is a mudallis fits into, we will know whether or not we should absolutely reject his hadith, or whether or not we should absolutely accept it, or whether or not we have to examine it to see if sometimes it may be accepted and sometimes rejected. The first category are those who are known to do it occasionally, such as Yahya bin Sa'id al-Ansari. Yeah, and he, he practiced Tadlis sometimes, 
And this first category of people like Yahya bin Sayyid Ansari, who were known to have only practiced at Tadlis on rare occasions, their hadith are generally accepted by all the scholars without any exception. The second level are those who, who are accepted by the scholars of hadith, the traditionists, either because of their good reputation and relatively few cases of at Tadlis, for example, Sufyan al Sauri, who died in the year 161, or because they reported from authentic authorities only, such as Sufyan ibn Uyayna, who died in the year 198. Both of these two scholars, Sufyan al Sauri and Sufyan ibn Uyayna, are very, very well known scholars of hadith of the highest category. And both of them were known to have practiced at Tadlis, but in the case of Sufyan al Sauri, because of his good reputation as an imam of hadith and a great scholar, and his reputation for his character, and due to the fact that he only practiced at Tadlis on rare occasions, then his hadith were accepted. As opposed to the case of Sufyan ibn Uyayna, the reason why his Tadlis was accepted is because it is said by the scholars of hadith that Sufyan ibn Uyayna, whenever he did Tadlis, after investigation they found out that he never did Tadlis, except that the person who he deleted from the Isnad was Siqa, was a reliable reporter. And any time he left somebody out, it was always a reliable reporter. So his hadith, and even if he did Tadlis, it was also acceptable. These are the first two categories. These two are, are accepted without question. The last three categories are the problem, especially the last two. The third category are those who practiced it a great deal. And they did a lot of Tadlis. And the scholars of hadith, the traditionists, have accepted such a hadith from them which were reported with a clear mention of hearing directly. Yani, those people who practice Tadlis a lot, but they used to sometimes say Haddathana or Akbarana or Sama'atu, which makes it clear that they heard it from their shaykh. In those cases, even though they were known for Tadlis, in those cases the hadith would be accepted because they made it clear that they heard it directly from their shaykh. Among these are Abu Zubair al Makki whose ahadith narrated from the companion Jabir ibn Abdullah radiallahu anhuma have been collected in Sahih Muslim. Opinions differ regarding whether they are acceptable or not. Yani the scholars have different opinion about this group, but the more important thing is that in general, they, their hadith were accepted. Because they used to make clear that they heard the hadith directly from their shaykh. The, third, the fourth category which is similar, similar to the previous category, but the traditionists agree that their hadith are to be rejected unless they clearly admit of their hearing, such as by saying, I heard, an example of this is Baqi ibn Walid. The important difference between these two categories, the third category are those who the scholars of hadith generally accepted their hadith. Though there's some difference of opinion, some of them didn't, but generally it was accepted. Whereas the fourth category, their hadith, the scholars are in agreement that their hadith should not be accepted unless they make it clear, on the condition that they make it clear, that they heard it directly from their shaykh. Otherwise, for sure, we reject their hadith. Whereas the third category, most of the scholars in general accepted their hadith, although some of them may not have. And the last category of those who practice Tadlis is the worst of them, those who are disparaged or who have crit been criticized due to another reason apart from Tadlis. Yani, not only they did Tadlis, but also they have some other problem. Maybe they had a weak memory, or they were a person who wasn't of good character, or some other reason. Yani, there was another reason for which their hadith was rejected, not only Tadlis. So they had two problems. 
Number one, they did Tadlis, and number two, they also had some other problems. Some of them, perhaps, for example, used to always narrate from weak narrators, or rejectable narrators, in addition to the fact that they did Tadlis. Or some of them were very weak narrators themselves, in addition to the fact that they did Tadlis, and so on. Their hadith are rejected, even though they admit of hearing them directly. Even if they said, Hadithana, or Akhbarana, or Samaitu, the hadith were rejected, because the problem is not just Tadlis, the problem, in addition to Tadlis, they also have another problem. Like they are a weak narrator themselves, or they always used to narrate from weak narrators or some other reason. Exempted from them, and from those who came in this category, are reporters such as Abdul ibn Lahia, the famous Egyptian judge whose weakness is found to be of a lesser degree. Ibn Hajjah gives the names of 152 such reporters in this category. In any case, there were some, there were some scholars like Abdul ibn Lahia, who was a very, very famous scholar of hadith, but in the end of his life, he, used to, he became confused in the narration of hadith, and therefore the scholars accepted some of his hadith, because his problem, in addition to Tadlis, his problem was that which happened in the end of his life. It wasn't throughout his life. So his hadith, which were narrated in the earlier time, are accepted. But if we can determine that it was narrated in the later time, then it's rejected. And if there's no way to determine whether it was from the earlier or later time, then it's also rejected. But in general, the last category, those who did Tadlis and also have another problem, their hadith are generally rejected. Tadlis, especially of those in the last three categories, is so disliked that Shurba, the great scholar Shurba, who died in the year 170, said, Tadlis is the brother of lying. And he said, Tadlis is a type of lying. And he also, it is reported from Ash-Shafi'i, rahimahullah, from Ash-Shurba, that he said, to commit adultery is more favorable to me than to report by way of Tadlis. Any Tadlis is worse than Zina. And some of the scholars like Al-Hafid al-Iraqi said that this kind of statement from Sharba, it is uh, an expression, uh, an exaggerated expression. Yani it's an exaggeration to show his dislike for Tadlis. Not that really Zina uh, is less than Tadlis, but it is an exaggeration. Uh, Rather than to take Musantal today, because uh, since I didn't make any notes for it, let us just review the notes of uh, a tadlis that we have here, and then we'll take the Musantal in the next lecture, inshallah, with the next category. Um, classification of hadith according to the manner in which the hadith is reported, and mudallas. Linguistically, it is derived from a tadlis, that is, hiding the defect of a product from the purchaser. And in the linguistic meaning of tadlis, it means to try to sell something to someone while hiding a defect in it, so that they will buy it not knowing what is the real problem. Technically, it means hiding the defect in the chain of narrators to improve its appearance, to make it look better or stronger than it really is. Divisions of a tadlis, it is two principal divisions, tadlis al-isnad and tadlis al-shuyukh. Tadlis al-isnad, which also contains a subdivision tadlis al-taswir. Tadlis al-isnad, it has a number of definitions from the early scholars, including, and I only mention two of them here, perhaps the, yani the best two of the, of the opinions. Uh, the second one of them is the opinion of the majority, and the first one is the opinion of the minority, but it is a stronger opinion, and Allah knows best. The first opinion of the scholars, as the definition of a tadris al-isnad, is the narrator reports from his teacher, whom he has heard some hadith from. Okay, he heard some hadith from him. But he reports from him what? 
other hadith which he has not heard directly from his teacher. But he has actually heard it through a third party. And he uses an expression such as qala, he said, or an, from, or on the authority of, which gives the impression, without actually saying it, and without lying, but it gives the impression that he has heard it directly from his teacher. And he narrates from somebody something he didn't hear from them. Though he heard other hadith from that person, and he used an expression which gives the impression that he heard it from him directly, uh, though he has not heard it from him directly. And he heard it through a third party. The second definition, which is more general than this definition, is the narrator reports from a contemporary scholar whom he may or may not have met. And he reports from a hadith which he did not hear from him. This is the thing that's in common between both definitions, that the person is reporting something that they didn't hear from that person. Whether it was their shaykh who they heard some hadith from, or somebody else who they heard no hadith from, whether they met them or never met them, the important thing is that they are reporting from that person something which they actually didn't hear directly from them. And in this case also he's using an expression such as qala or an, giving the impression without actually saying it, that he has actually heard it directly from that contemporary scholar. This is Tadlis al-Isnad. In that case, he reports from somebody something he has not heard from him directly, which means he heard it through an intermediary or a third party who he has deleted. And because we don't know who has been deleted, then we fear the weakness of that reporter and therefore the hadith is rejected. Tadlis al-Taswiyah, it is a subtype of Tadlis al-Isnad. It is when a narrator reports a hadith from a weak reporter who is in the link, who is the link in the chain between two reliable reporters in between two reliable reporters. And both of the reliable reporters have met each other, which leaves open the possibility of one of them narrating from the other. And both of them met each other, so we would assume that it's possible that they really could have narrated from one another. Here, the first narrator deletes the weak reporter, who is in between the two reliable ones, and reports the hadith as though one of the reliable reporters heard it directly, directly from the other, which gives the appearance that the chain of narrators is sahih, authentic, while in fact the reliable reporter heard it from a weak reporter who in turn heard it from a reliable reporter therefore the chain would be considered daif. Okay, here in this case is a weak reporter who has been deleted and if we knew that he was there, we would say that chain
Tadlis al-Shuyukh, the second, second major type of Tadlis, this is when a narrator reports a hadith which he has actually heard from his teacher. Then mentions his teacher with a name or a kunya like Abu Ahmed or a name like this or a title or description which he is not well known by in order to hide his true identity. And he, he doesn't delete anybody, he really heard it from his shaykh but he hides the true identity of his shaykh by using some description or title or name that he is not well known by. The ruling concerning the practice of a tadlis in general. Tadlis al-Isnad is considered makru, hated by most of the scholars. Whereas tadlis al-Taswiyah, where a weak narrator is dropped between two reliable ones, it is considered the most hated type. Tadlis al-Shuyukh, yani where a person just hides the identity of a shaykh who he really heard from, it is the least hated of the types of tadlis. In any case, all of them yani, are better to be avoided. And yani, the difference between them is the reason for which the person used tadlis. Tadlis al-Taswiyah, the reason why he used it is because there's a weak narrative. That's clear. That's why it's the worst type. Whereas tadlis al-Isnad and tadlis al-Shuyukh, uh, it may be for a reason that's acceptable or a reason that's unacceptable. The ruling concerning the reports from those who practice at Tadlis. Yani what do we do with the hadith or the report or the narration that's reported from somebody who practiced at Tadlis? The first opinion is all of their narrations are rejected, even if they make it clear that they heard that particular hadith from the teacher whom they're reporting from. And this opinion is not really the strongest opinion. It's not the correct opinion, just to make outright rejection of all hadith by those who practice tadlis. Because tadlis is of different types, and there are different reasons for practicing it. Some of it is more harmful or dangerous than others. The second opinion, which is the more correct opinion, it is that uh, there is a distinction made between the reports or narrations which the mudallis makes clear that he has heard it from his teacher. These should be accepted. While those which he used expressions which do not make it clear are to be rejected. Okay, this is what we wanted to cover today. Um, perhaps we'll just look at the musalsal. Has the adhan been called? Okay, it's very brief. The notes that the Shaykh has given here in the book is very brief. Musalsal, a musalsal or uniformly linked isnad is one in which all the reporters as well as the Prophet ﷺ used the same mode of transmission. And I think he means here all of the reports, including the one who narrated from the Prophet ﷺ. Not the Prophet himself. The Prophet doesn't say Haddathani except in the case of Hadith Qudsi. Where he says he heard from Allah Taala. In any case, that all of the narrators in Isnad use the same mode of transmission, such as An or haddathana, etc. Yani each person in the isnad used the same expression. If the first one said haddathana, then the one who heard it from him also used the same expression, haddathana. And the one who heard it from him also used the same expression. Uh, so they all use the same mode of expression. And repeat any other additional statement or remark or act in a particular manner while narrating the hadith. Yani something that they said or something that they did, each one of the narrators repeated that statement or that action that his shaykh said or did when the hadith was given to him. Al-Hakim gives eight examples of such isnads, each having a different characteristic repeated feature. Yani, these are some of the types of things, something that is said or something that is done, and it may be related to the, the, uh, the riwayah, the report itself, 
It may be something similar in it, or it may be related to the reporter, the rawi, something particular about the person who is reporting. Here are eight of the different types of things, or classifications, or types of uh, things that may be repeated, uh, but due to which a hadith will be called musalsab. Use of the phrase, سَمِعَتُ I heard, and likewise, أَخْبَرَنَا أَوْ حَدَّثَنَا and so on. If anyone, if each of the narrators use the same one, or most of them, or some of them, it would be called musalsal. If all of them used it, it's a complete musalsal. But if some of them used it, it still comes under the category of musalsal. But you would say, it is musalsal up until that person. Okay, up until the point where somebody changed and used a different expression. The expression, stand and pour water for me, so that I may illustrate the way my shaykh performed ablution. Yani, the Sahabi, he said to that person, stand and pour water for me, as I make wudu, to show you how to make wudu. And then the person who heard from him, when he reported the hadith, he did the same thing. He told the person, come and pour water for me, so I will demonstrate to you how the one who reported to him did wudu, wudu who got it from Sahabi, who got it from the Prophet Haddathana, he narrated to us. Amarani, he commanded me. Holding one's beard. Yani perhaps the person who was narrating the hadith was holding his beard while he was narrating the hadith. So the one who heard it from him when he reported it, he did the same action of holding his beard while he was narrating the hadith. Illustrating by counting on fingers. And he, perhaps the person was narrating hadith in which there was a number of things mentioned. And as he was narrating, he was counting on his fingers. And likewise, the one who reported from him did the same action. And this is musalsa. The expression, I testify that. And so and so. And likewise, interlocking the fingers. If a person was narrating the hadith, as the Prophet ﷺ interlocked his fingers when he was narrating this particular hadith, the one who, who passed it on, Sahabi and the Tabi'i and so on, also did the same action as they were reporting the hadith. Knowledge of Musalsal helps in discounting the possibility of Tadlis. Any? Perhaps here, what he means is that. Uh, when we know about the hadith which are musalsal, then uh, if, if each of the narrators reported the hadith in the same way, such as using the expressions which make it clear that the person heard it directly, it eliminates the possibility of a tadlis. Because in tadlis, the person can't use such an expression. Otherwise, they will be outright, outright lying. They have to use a different expression. So here, perhaps what he means is, it makes it difficult for someone to do tadlis. Otherwise, uh, they would have to lie and use an expression which indicates direct hearing while they didn't hear directly. Okay, this is what um, we wanted to cover today. And if there are any comments or questions or corrections, inshallah, we have a few moments. I hope there are some questions. Naam. Yeah, there are various ways of knowing. Uh, hmm? Tadris Taswiya? Naam. An example of a Tadris Taswiya is that which has been reported by Ibn Abi Hatim in his book Al Ilal. He said, I heard my father, Abu Hatim. Abu Hatim was one of the greatest scholars of hadith, especially in the field of ilal. And his son was also a great scholar. Ibn Abi Hatim said, I heard my father, Abu Hatim. 
and he mentions a hadith which is reported by Ishaq ibn Rahway, the Shaykh of Bukhari. From Baqiyah, Yani Baqiyah al-Walid, one of the people who is known for Tadlis, Taswir. Who said, Haddathani Abu Wahab. Okay, he used the expression Haddathani to make it clear that he heard it from the Shaykh. He, he said, Haddathani Abu Wahab al-Asadi. An Nafi. Now look, you see here he used An. So it's not clear that Abu Wahab al-Asadi heard it directly from Nafi. And this is the place where the problem comes in of the weak person between two reliable reporters. An Nafi An Ibn Umar radiallahu anhuma the hadith la tahmadu islam al-mar'i hatta ta'rifu uqdata ra'yahu aw uqdata ra'yihi yani it means that you shouldn't praise a person's islam until you know really what is their opinion in a matter here he said my father qala abi yani abu hatim said to his son ibn abi hatim هذا الحديث له أمر قل من يفهمه. This hadith, there is something about it that very few people understand. روى هذا الحديث عبيدة بن عمر, who was a thicker, reliable narrator, from Ishaq and Ishaq ibn Abi Sarwata, who was a daif narrator, and Nafi, who was a thicker narrator, from Ibn Umar رضي الله عنه from the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم. Then he says that عبيد الله Ibn Amr, Kunyatuhu Abu Wahab. Ubaidullah, he is the one who is mentioned in this hadith where Baqiyah, the, the Mudallis said, Haddathani Abu Wahab al-Asadi al-Nafi. Ubaidullah ibn Umar, who is Abu Wahab, Kunyatuhu Abu Wahab. Wahua Asadi, he is from the tribe Asadi. And he has been given the Kunya by Baqiyah. His kunya Abu Wahab and his nasab, his tribal relation, al-Asadi, uh, so that people would not know who he really is, to hide him. So that when he drops Ishaq ibn Abi Sarwa from the Isnad, people will not be able to detect it. Because if they know, if he used his name that people know him by, then if he was to mention uh, Ubaidullah ibn Amr by his regular name, the people knew him and they knew that he didn't narrate from Nafi. So he used another name in order to hide the fact that he was going to delete someone, which they would be able to detect had he used his real name. So this is an example that uh, is mentioned for Tadlis at Taswir. Also, many of the scholars mentioned some of the reasons for Tadlis. And here he says some of the reasons for Tadlis is Shuyukh, where the person hides yani, the description or hides the identity of the Sheikh by using a different name. Not by deleting somebody from the Isnaf, he said perhaps he would be a weak narrator. And in that case it would be very bad. But other reasons which are not as bad, he said perhaps he lived a long life. And many people narrated from him. Besides that one who reported from him, many other people who came later, who were younger people narrated from him. So for that reason he didn't want to share with them his shaykh, so he used a different name to disguise him. Also his shaykh may have been younger than him, which is also a reason that some people might want to hide. Or it may be that he narrated so many hadith from him and he doesn't want it to appear, appear as though he didn't have a, many teachers, that all of his hadith is from one shaykh. So he used to use different names for him to make it look like he traveled a lot of places and learned from a lot of people. And also this is not a blameworthy for any reason. I mean it's not a, it, it doesn't cause harm as long as his shaykh is not a weak narrator. The problem is if his shaykh was a weak narrator. The other reasons for somebody doing tadlis al shuyukh are not really as blameworthy. As for Tadlis al-Isnad, he said that the reasons for it 
are the first three reasons because of the weakness of his narrative which is blameworthy or because his shaykh lived a long time or his shaykh was younger than him these are not so bad except the first one and he says also another other reasons for tadlis al-isnad where somebody is actually deleted from the isnad is to give the impression of al-ulu yani ulu al-isnad we haven't talked about ulu al-isnad but it means al-isnad al-ali it means an isnad that has only a few narratives in the chain between that person and the Prophet ﷺ only two or three people. And this is something that is desirable because the less people in the chain, the less chance of the hadith being weak. So sometimes the person would delete someone to give the impression of al-ulu, that his isnad only has a few people between him and the Prophet ﷺ. This is one of the reasons for deleting somebody from the isnad to delete an isnad. And also, sometimes, which happened often, that somebody narrated a lot of, a lot of hadith from a certain shaykh, like al-Zuhri for example, and he was a great scholar. And maybe a few hadith, one of his students didn't hear from him. He missed it. So he heard it from another student who heard it from him. So he deleted that student and gave it as though he heard it directly from Az-Zuhri. So this is also Tadlis al-Isnaz. But it's not so blameworthy. Because as long as the other student who heard it from is really a reliable person, it's no harm in it. Really, he's just trying to catch those hadith which he missed from his shaykh, who he heard many, many hadith from. Uh, They said, uh, the question the, the ladies asked about Al-A'amash. Uh, it was mentioned that of those people who were well known for doing Tadlis at Taswiyah, from amongst them was Baqiyah ibn al-Walid and al-Walid ibn Muslim, and also mentioned amongst them was Al-A'amash. Al-A'amash was one of the great scholars of Hadith from amongst the Tabi'een, and his hadith were generally accepted, although it is reported by some of the scholars, uh, uh, Al-Iraqi and also Al-Khatib Al-Baghdadi mentioned Al-Amash as being amongst those who did uh, Tadlis Al-Taswir. But in fact, in general, uh, the Tadlis that Al-Amash was known for was the normal Tadlis, Tadlis Al-Isnad, uh, and as long as he made clear that he heard the hadith directly from his shaykh, then uh, there was no blame. Or that hadith yani, would be accepted. Also, uh, we didn't mention, but uh, some of the scholars mentioned, what is the way to know at Qadilis? One of the ways to know at Qadilis, how can we detect it? By two things. One is that the one who did Tadlis, he himself, when, was, when he was asked about it, he admitted that he did Tadlis. And this is the case, uh, and, and the famous case that's mentioned is uh, Sufyan ibn Uyayna, who narrated many hadith from Az-Zuhri. But there were some hadith which he didn't mention. And it is reported that once he was reporting hadith, and he said, An-Zuhri. So one of the students, they asked him, did you hear it directly from Zuhri? And he just said, An-Zuhri. They asked him again, did you hear it directly from him? He said, no, I didn't hear it from him. Nor did I hear it from the one who heard it from him. And not only one person has been deleted, but two people are deleted. I heard it from Abdul Razak, who heard it from Ma'amar, who heard it from Zuhri. But Abdul Razak was a great scholar of hadith from Yemen, and so was Ma'amar. And so there was no harm in him doing Tadlis in this particular case. So one of the ways to know that someone has done Tadlis 
is that the one who did it, when asked about it, admits it. And the other way is that one of the great imams of the scholars of hadith, who are well known for their research and meticulous knowledge in checking the isnads of hadith and knowing the narratives of hadith and the biographies, knowing who were their students and who were their teachers and when they were born and when they died and what lands they traveled to, they actually nasa'alayhi, that is, they mentioned specifically that that this was a case of tadlis, that this particular person performed tadlis in this particular occasion or on other occasions or whatever. Yani, the two ways to know is that the one who did tadlis admits it himself or one of the scholars who are famous for this particular knowledge or well known for their meticulous knowledge uh, of hadith um, that they actually mentioned specific uh, in this particular case that a particular hadith on a particular occasion that it was narrated by a person um, uh, according to yani by using a tadlis. Let me mention some of the books that are famous for Tadlis, but none of those books are available to us in English. So I, I think we'll stop here, unless there's any other question or comment. Uh, let me just uh, say as a reminder that, again, Mustalah Hadith is really indeed an important science. Although, as we said in the beginning, it's very difficult due to it being a technical science. Uh, and also because perhaps because we don't have the time to uh, delve into this science and spend any more time with it, it's, it, it becomes a little difficult because we don't have the practical application. Now we are just taking the theory uh, to be familiar with it, but perhaps some of us who may be more interested in this particular science may have the chance in the future to study it more and to read some of the books that are available even in English now, alhamdulillah, uh, so that we can get a, a, a more and a firmer knowledge and understanding of Mustalah Hadith and perhaps even begin to apply it uh, in our studies of Islam, particularly the studies of fiqh, yani examining Hadith and looking at what the scholars have said about it. When we know this terminology, the definitions of these terms that are used in Mustalah Hadith, it becomes easier, easier for us to follow the arguments of the scholars and to know the correct positions of the scholars based on uh, the reliability of the Hadith that they use. Now, if we read the Sharh of Al-Imam Muslim uh, by Al-Imam Nawi or the Sharh of Al-Bukhari by Al-Hafiz ibn Hajj Al-Asqalani or other books of Hadith or other books of Fiqh according to the various madhahib Sometimes we will see these terms used, that this hadith uh, was, yani, the person who reported it was a mudallis. Or in the chain of narratives, there is a person who was uh, da'if, or a person who was matruq, or a person who was kidzab. Uh, Maybe we don't know what these terms are, or what they mean, or what are their significance, but when we know uh, what are the meaning of these terms, then it helps us to understand what should be our position concerning those hadith. In fact, on many occasions we'll find in the books of fiqh, hadith being used as a proof for a particular position. And if we were to check it, we will find that in the chain of narratives, there is a person who was known for fabrication. Or there was a person who was matruq, who was abandoned by the scholars. His hadith was rejected outright. Or a person who was accused of lying, muttaham bil kadir, whose hadith also should be rejected. Even if it's supported by other narration, they can't be accepted. When we understand this, it helps us to know what position we should take 
in uh, the matters of our deen. Not only in fiqh matters, but also in aqidah, because in many cases, the evidences that are used by the scholars to uh, support their incorrect positions are based on hadith which are unauthentic. And it's difficult for us to follow the arguments until we know something, but these and they have a basic idea, a general idea of, of some of the uh, classifications of hadith and the terminology of the scholars of hadith. So I hope that we will be patient until uh, the end of this course. And inshallah, perhaps after this course, we will have some tatbiq or implementation of what we have learned yani, uh, so that we can see yani, really the full value and the benefit of what we are studying in Mustal Hadith. Um, Sheikh Suhaib has mentioned a number of hadith in the beginning of the book and in the end of the book he mentions the, the rulings or the gradings of those hadith and perhaps at that point we may look at them a little more carefully and see uh, some of the hadith that may be well known which are unauthentic and also and see how the scholars describe those hadith and see how much of we can understand after learning some of this terminology even if we learn half of it or one third of it Alhamdulillah, we are better off than we were in the beginning when we were completely unfamiliar with this terminology. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika. Ashhadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk.